You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Just, just as we start, I know, I know they kind of mentioned it, but um, uh, Steph and I have been away this week with some of the uh, leaders of the movement, uh, some of the area leaders, and uh, I just wanted to say this movement is alive and well. We are seeing some incredible things, and God is on the move among us, and it's a privilege to be part of it. And I kind of, there's numerous moments this year, particularly more than others, where you're like, oh, you could step in more than you have, and maybe, I just find when we come together, uh, the Lord can sometimes just arrest us and, and speak quite clearly, and it's deeply encouraging and it's important. So there's a there's a few moments, if you haven't already clocked it, I just want to say get it in your diary. Like there's cause to live for in November. If you're a leader in the life of the church, you'd know that's you. There's the, uh, there's the Vineyard Leaders Gathering in April. Uh, there is the thing they mentioned that Steve Nick is doing in Leeds at the start of March. Um, there's the weekend away that we're doing in May. All of them, I'm like, if you haven't already, get them in your diary and plan to be there. We often have a little budget where we just put aside an amount of money each month because I'm like, I'm preparing to be at these things because they're, they're exciting and they, they change us. Um, but if, if you're just joining us this morning, I've been in a series that I've called Investing. We looked at investing in vision. Last week, we looked at investing not on our terms. And this uh, week, today, we're going to be looking at investing for abundance. And uh, I'd encourage you, if you've missed any of them, to catch up online. It makes more sense as part of a series. But if... Um, if ever you've been to one of the welcome dinners that Steph and I do, we share a bit of our story, how this church was planted. Uh, and if you've been to one of those, you'll probably be familiar that uh, we share the story that I spent many, many happy years in the fire service. Uh, one of the things that is slightly we- less well known about that, that doesn't actually slot into that sharing space, is that I really, really, really don't like heights. And uh, I'm not sure if it's psychological or physiological or whatever it is, but it's kind of this this weird thing that I've got. And um, Steph and I, many years ago, we were in uh, Melbourne in Australia. We were working there. And whilst we were there, the people that we were staying with said to us, you really need to go up the Eureka Tower. Uh, it allows you like to see the whole of Melbourne. And uh, everything in me was like, I really don't want to do that. That sounds horrendous. But um, how, how do you say no politely? And I just couldn't find a way. So anyway, it's a 297.3 metre skyscraper, which is uh, 975 foot in old language. And anyway, we, we go up in the lift. And um, I, I was bad in the lift because I've got this thing with my ears where I, that's a story in itself. But... So I kind of bundle out of the lift at the top. And um, you probably think I'm exaggerating this, but I'm not. I literally hit the deck. I'm just down on the floor. And uh, I push my back firmly against the wall. And I start shuffling like a young child that can't walk, um, but has learned to sit up. So you've got that picture in the head. That's what I'm doing. The problem was I'm kind of like in my late 20s, early 30s. And um, it, it wasn't ideal. But I've started to learn to move. There's hundreds of people up there, but I've started to learn to move with what I would now call like a shuffle roll. Um, And it's kind of exactly how it sounds. It's like part shuffle and part roll. And um, 
it, it really didn't go down very well with the skyscraper staff people, um, or Steph, I was coming to that, but like, um, there's, there's, well basically anyone, nobody really liked it, the tourists or, um, Steph was very gracious, kind of, um, but once they've realized up there that I didn't need an ambulance and I wasn't a terrorist, um, they, they, they kind of just lumped me into this, this is just a strange guy, stay away from him category, and avoid me, all costs. Anyway, the highlight of the attraction, if we can say it was a highlight or an attraction, because I don't actually think you can say either, um, is that they've got this so-called glass platform. And uh, it's kind of part of the building, but it, you go out on it, just and it's just glass. And uh, you get these amazing views of Melbourne. I personally would rather have had them at Street View or just Google Maps, but um, I'm getting flashbacks telling you about it. It was literally horrific. Anyway, um, you could have just looked at photos or you could go out on this glass platform and uh, of course it was a windy day which added to the drama of this thing being literally horrendous um, and we're, we're kind of at a height that I personally think only planes should be at and um, Steph's taking photos and loving it all and I've, I kind of didn't really leave the lobby I've got this weird shuffle roll thing and um, as Steph's gone out on the platform I realized I needed the toilet and um, I've done this weird shuffle roll towards the toilet, and thankfully they let me use the disabled loo, uh, partly just to get me out of the way of it. I was like, this, what's with this guy? Um, anyway, once we're back down on terra firma, and uh, I honestly think terra firma is called terra firma for two reasons, because it's terror, and then you realize you're back on the firma and it's all good. But um, I, I could give you many, many, many examples on our own of moments like that where I have caused problems, particularly for Steph, with my fear of heights. And honestly, pray for her, because it was exactly the same when we went up the Eiffel Tower. I mean, why we even went up, I never know. But what I, what I want to say is my daughter just says, Daddy, you're dramatic. I, I just want to say, actually, the problem is real. The problem for me is real. But in the fire service, as you would expect, a lot of that job was about heights, kind of ladders and cats up trees and carrying people and windows and you know you go up the aerial ladder platform and all that kind of stuff so much of that job was about heights and I never once physically I think I did mentally but I never once physically did the shuffle roll I definitely had it a few times in my head but it never once affected my ability to do the job and I've often wondered why and I think the why is because I absolutely loved the job. I loved every minute of it, but no fear of heights was going to get in the way of my love of that job. And um, I guess this is the point I want to make. If you're new or visiting or you've come for the dedication, there is a point there where you're like, where is this guy going here? But the, my point is this. I think some of you, when you come to church, you do a shuffle roll. I haven't actually ever seen any of you do it physically, but I think you probably do it mentally on the inside where you'll have had associations and you'll have had experiences and memories and preconceived ideas and hurts and pains and interactions and loads of different things that you could now lump into that box because the cause and the effect will actually be different for everybody. So it's not as easy for people, therefore, to know that it's happening or to help you out. And that experience will have caused you to do what I would call the shuffle roll. And some of you will have had a few more experiences when you then come into the place of the church that have caused greater pain and confusion. And it's like realizing not only am I up the tower, but now we're up the tower, we're gonna go into this little glass box thing that I really, really don't wanna do. And not only that, it's windy. 
and I want to get myself back on terra firma. I want to get back to the place of safety and the place that I knew, and I want to go back to the place where I was. And the problem sometimes is with our church pain is that it becomes our Jesus pain, and we combine the two. Whereas actually the reality is the church pain is church pain, which is normally because it's a people pain, because there's people in the church, and we collide with people, and we all have pain in all areas of life. And whether we acknowledge it or not, often subconsciously, we find it hard to separate it from Jesus. Now, the reality is, I want to say this, is I think there'll always be stuff. I can say just for myself, I have my stuff. I'm not all I want to be or all I will be. And so even sometimes unintentionally, and it is unintentional, I will cause other people to have pain because I will, my stuff will collide with their stuff. And I actually don't need you to tell me that. Sometimes I don't even need to get out of bed to work out I've got stuff. I once read this book when I was at uni called Love Jesus, Hate the Church. And actually, it didn't quite have the conclusion that I thought it would. I was hoping that somehow it would justify my pain rather than to help me realize, actually, you can't love Jesus without loving his church because it's his bride and it's what he's coming back for. I've just found it helpful to get the order of my perspective right now because it's realigned me. I love church because I love Jesus. I overcome my fear of heights because I love the job. My love of the job causes me to not even place, have, or hold any kind of focus on my fear of heights because it's only when I remove myself from the job environment that I actually realize the fear of heights is even still a thing. It's only when I become cold and distant in my relationship with Jesus that I start to realize I've become grumpy and burdened by elements of his church. Does that, does that make sense? That's some of what I'm going to unpick today as we look at investing. Because if we don't call it out, it starts to become a stumbling block and our obstacle to our desire or our longing or a reality of the realization that we could be and should be investing. So today I want to talk about investing and investing for abundance. Let's just have a look at Matthew 25 verse 14. It says this in the Bible. Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give account for how they'd used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so I will now give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. 
You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so I will now give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops that you didn't plant and gathering crops that you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many of you, I know, may be familiar with that passage. I remember even now looking at it when I was at primary school. Many of you will have read it and reread it a number of times. But is there an element of it that it actually just literally stops you in your tracks? Because it kind of does me. How are you investing what he's given you? Am I serving Jesus with what he's given me? be honest, I ask myself that question. I'm not even posing it to you. I want to ask myself, am I serving Jesus with what he's given me? Because there is where, this is where I think the fear of heights, both consciously and subconsciously, starts to come into play because it's the bruises and it's the war wounds and it's the pain of the shrapnel that starts to distort and dilute our investment. Well, I would if I didn't have a fear of heights. Well, I used to, but... I did back in the day, but now. I had a season where I did, but now. Jesus speaks of servants entrusted with various amounts of money. And do you remember last week we looked at just being the servants? We don't need to fall over each other with how much we're entrusted with. And we don't need to compare ourselves with others because we're all entrusted with something. The bit I think that's worth digging into and clinging onto is you're entrusted with a deposit. He's entrusted you with something. An investment is supposed to be invested so that it will grow. If I was to try and highlight a word or a principle that I think we draw out of this passage, it's, it's kind of this, is faithful. The Lord is looking for, for us to be faithful with all that he has given us. It's not what he's given someone else. What has he given you and what and how will you be faithful with that? He's given us bags of silver to trade for him in his absence. What are the bags of silver that he's given you? Well, they're the responsibilities that the Lord gives us in the light of abilities and opportunities. It's, it's not a gift that we get to control it or an ability that we might boast about it. It's an investment that the master makes in his servants and he wants to be able to rely on us in how we use it which really just boils down to faithfulness because the master is away and will return and wants to know about the business that we've conducted in his absence i guess it's fairly obvious but the part that really jumps out i guess for all of us is the guy who does nothing with it 
the guy who just buries it. The original application of this passage is likely to have been the Pharisees. They received the law with great care from the predecessors and they preserve it and they didn't change it. They buried it. And where ordinary people then couldn't get anywhere near it, they didn't use their responsibility well. They wanted a religion and they wanted something that didn't change and didn't have risk. And in this passage, there is a significant amount of condemnation for it, almost an uncomfortable amount, we may say, towards the end. And as we apply this to our own lives and we hear it in the here and now, it's not hard to see that at many times we don't like change, we don't like risk, we'd rather stay in the place that is comfortable and to grasp and to kind of cling hold of the magnitude of this passage, we have to realize that the, the bags of silver illustrated are likely to be, according to some, the equivalent of hundreds of thousands of pounds, significant amounts of money in today's money. And we've been given so much by our master, and the expectation is that we will steward it well, that we will work diligently and honor him and maximize the resource that he's placed in our hands. It's kind of important that we realize this isn't a cold, hard-hearted master. Can you see in that earlier part of the passage the joy and the life and the relationship that they have with the master that the first few servants had? It says this, the first few guys say the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in the handling of this small amount, so I'll now give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate. There is a, there's a joy and an intimacy between the master and the servant that is meant to be shared and it's meant to be understood and experienced by us. And let's just pull out a couple of reflections with, with the mindset of looking at this passage in the context of, of investing. And the first thing I want to say is this. This is a Jesus-centric investment. There is a joy and an intimacy between the master and the servant that is supposed to be and meant to be shared and experienced by us to not get lost in the, the fear of heights, to not get tired, to not get disillusioned, to not get bitter, to not become cynical, to not be swayed by popular opinion in the culture, to not get off track or to get diluted, to not fail to invest. We've got to keep front and center and keep our eyes on Jesus. We've got to stay close and we've got to stay intimate. It flows out of and from a heart and an attitude and a posture of worship. You can often work out where you're at by how much you want to worship him because he loves to be worshipped. And if we don't want to worship or feel a longing to worship, I'd often start there and say, Lord, open my eyes to see who you are. Help me to worship you. Our response always comes from revelation. The more we see, the more we become. John chapter 2 verse 11 says this, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Jesus has just turned the water into wine. It's his first public ministry. The miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The first miracle 
reveals something of his glory. And what happens is disciples believed in him. The disciples embraced who he was. They bought into his identity before they bought into his cause. So often people want something of the kingdom, but they don't want the king. Have you ever found that? Have you ever seen that in your own life? It's like people want the social life or they want the relational network of the church community, but they don't want the lordship of Jesus. And the problem that comes with that is the kingdom without the king starts to unravel because it's only half the story. Fear kicks in, whatever that may be. The fear of heights, whatever the equivalent is for you in your life, starts to kick in and the focus and the attention then starts to become in all the wrong places. We've got to put Jesus in his rightful place and as we buy into his identity, the cause is really just the natural overflow. It's kind of the principle of buy-in. People buy into the leader before they buy in to the vision. Once you believe in the leader, you become more comfortable with the vision. Once the disciples recognize Jesus' identity, they're in for whatever he called them to be and whatever he called them to do. Credibility preceded the plan. We can try and have our needs and our wants and our hurts met, by people or in a church or whatever it might be. But we've got to have them met in Jesus and Jesus alone because the kingdom has to have a king. It is a Jesus-centric model that will allow us to be all that he has for us. The second thing I wanted to say in terms of this passage and investment is this. It's kind of like a use it or lose it thing. He's given you something to invest. And as you invest it, it grows. That's kind of the principle of investment. You are investing. So if we stand on the side and we say, and we see all the things that isn't, that really isn't investing what he's given us. Remember, I said last week, I think we get grumpy when we aren't involved. And so this is the same principle. If we're not investing, we aren't growing. And if we aren't growing, we get grumpy. We've been given it, and it's in our hands and now we need to invest it, and it's up to us. We are empowered to do something with it and to do something about it. It's our responsibility. My encouragement to you today would be invest yourself. Invest yourself fully in Christ, his church, and his cause, and that investment will grow, and it will yield a return. If you invest it in the wrong things, it's also likely to grow, and you're also likely to get a return, but we reap what we sow. And so you will reap something other than the kingdom being extended in your life or the life of those around you. Can I just jump this off you personally and try and put this onto us collectively? I believe we've been given something significant to invest because we've been given a lot as a church community. The challenge with being given a lot is we've got to do a lot with it. So we need to raise and release leaders. We need to plant small groups. We need to increasingly create spaces for people to come and to be part of what the Lord is doing among us. That's what it is to invest. And you're a huge part of that because the more we're given, the more we have to invest and the more we're expected to invest it. So we have to enter this with a mindset of investment. The third thing is this, I think it's kind of fairly obvious from the passage we looked at, 
is kind of the master's away principle. What do you default to doing when you're home alone? Have you ever thought about that? I have this little routine that I often do that is a significant confession session to Steph um, right now. I go to the fridge and uh, I eat ham and then I go to the honey squeezy bottle and I have honey and I squeeze them straight into my mouth. I'm not sure if that's actually the definition of honey roast ham, but it does actually work and it is quite nice. I kind of love it. But the, the fascinating thing is this is, the, this is, so many people are like, what are you doing, man? So um, I can see you. Um, the, the, the thing that I found really interesting, and this is probably the confession session, is the next day when we're eating breakfast and the kids are uh, having their packed lunches made for school and they say, can we have ham sandwiches in our packed lunches? And everyone discovers that there's not really ham left. And everyone goes, where's all the ham gone? And there was loads. And I'm like, yeah, where has all the ham gone? <laughs> You know, there was loads. Some jokers just necked it all. How do you live when the master's away? You wanted a bit more. There's no more to that story. That's kind of as sad as it is. I just eat ham and honey. But how do you live when the master's away? How do you live when no one else is looking? If I'm honest, it was a lot easier to tell you about ham and honey, even though you all think I'm a bit weird, than it is actually to tell you a number of other things. What attitudes and behaviours and thought patterns and habits do you develop that draws you either towards the father or away from him? Because you will be, because that's how it works, because it's about investment. You're being discipled by them, by those decisions and choices and habits. So choose them wisely and be ruthless with the destructive ones and feed the healthy ones. I know there were many, many painful elements for a number of you of the lockdowns, but I still deeply miss the days where the, the kids were home a lot more. I don't miss the homeschooling and trying to teach them French and why on earth we had to send a video of them doing PE, but it was, well, what just happened in our lives? Never again. Anyway, but I could just hear them playing in the background whilst I was working, and when the children go to school, I'm always desperately longing for them to come home, and I love it when it's the holidays because they're never far from my thoughts. And I, I think that's the kind of anticipation and expectation that we should have of Jesus. John 15, verse 10, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, you will overflow with joy. Remain in his love. Don't step out of it. It's the place of joy and overflow, regardless of the circumstances or season that you find yourself. Refuse to allow your investment or your service or your offering and your worship to become lifeless or just duty or religion or merely routine. Trust him and serve him out of the overflow. I know the seasons. I'm not trying to patronize you with that, but sometimes we have to hold on to the bigger picture. We have to cling on to Jesus because that's where the overflow of joy is. The fourth thing is this. I think we see this in this passage. Dig for gold in others. You know, when I was young, I remember being on the beach watching this guy with a metal detector and every now and again, he'd have a few beeps from it and he'd dig up a bit of sand and uncover something. And most of the time, it was like a 
old tin can or a rusty fork or and you'd see him sling it down and every now and again this guy would dig something up and he'd shove it in his pocket and I have no idea to this day what that was that he put in his pocket but at that age that was the closest thing to me that I was going to see of treasure and so I mean <laughs> with a slightly obsessive personality everyone's like really you have an obsessive personality um I, I gathered like a few scraps of wood and stuff on bits and bobs on the beach and I made my own metal detector. And I started following this guy around, copying what he was doing. And when it, he had the beep, I'd, I'd dig and I'd dig a little hole. Now, be un, unbeknown to me, his wife, seeing what I was doing, had done this cheeky deal with her husband. They took pity basically on this poor little six-year-old who's walking around with scraps of wood trying to make a beeping noise like the kids nowadays just have Nintendo switches they don't even know they're born anyway here I am walking around with a scrap of wood digging holes in the ground at the age of six and um, when you could get a 10p chomp for 10p but anyway another point um, the, the, the father teaches us how to invest and where we dig we'll get a return this lady had said to her husband, watch what he's doing, and unbeknown to me, they'd hidden a few quid in the sand, and my little fingers beep when his did, and I dig, and there's a few quid. The father teaches us to invest, and he teaches us where to invest. And sometimes we undervalue who we are, and we undervalue what we carry. Yeah, just a scrap of wood just a few little bits and bobs that I found on the beach, that wasn't going to get me very far. But doing that alongside somebody who was showing me where to dig, who has buried treasure for me to unearth and uncover, is going to get me a long way. You've got something to invest. You've also got to dig for the gold, to reveal gold and to uncover gold in the lives of other people. And it's part of our job as kingdom extenders. The final thing is this. We've got to look out for the lazy signs. Do you know the lazy signs? Verse 24. The servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops that you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. I don't know if when you were younger, or maybe this is just a generational thing, did you read the Mr. Men books? I remember... Mr. Lazy. I remember it quite well because it's like the 17th book. If you line them all up, it says Mr. Men books. But anyway, the story is kind of obvious. Mr. Lazy is lazy. And <laughs> I know I'm obsessive. Uh, 17th book. I did actually Google it just to check. But anyway, Mr. Lazy is like sleepy and he lives in sleepy land. There's only four hours in the day rather than the usual 24. Unlike the two the first two slaves. The third was not commended by the master. Do you notice that? What is spoken about is not what he did, it's spoken about what he didn't do. I find it fascinating, his excuses for his laziness. Verse 24, the servant with a one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. He refers to the master as harsh, 
and as one who unjustly expects to gather where he hasn't sown. Do you see that lack of joy and that lack of intimacy? I find it really interesting because lack of investment, lack of desire to embed our place ourselves in good soil, lack of investment and desire to seek out growth and seek ways to deposit the thing that we've been given robs us and it causes us to be frustrated and it causes us to be cynical and it causes us to be critical. It gives us a bit of the older son attitude that we find with the prodigal son. It's not fair. What about me? I think it's so easy to fall into that trap and have that mindset. And we've got to learn to show up and we have to learn to put a shift in and we have to learn to make a deposit and we have to learn to invest what we've been given to invest because that's where the joy is. That's where the overflow is. The guy blames the master for his own lack of responsibility. Again, it's such an easy trap to fall into. It's everyone else's fault. It's my small group leader's fault. It's the church's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my colleague's fault. In the end, this guy is condemned and his relationship with his master is severed. We have to be people that learn to invest. As stewards, not owners, but stewards, we've been entrusted with something. And the way we steward that, the way we deposit that, and the way we invest that is right at the heart of our discipleship. It's right at the heart of our becoming like Jesus. It's like David and Bathsheba. David got caught in adultery because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was meant to be at war. And when we aren't doing what we're meant to be doing, we end up having time for the thing that we shouldn't be doing. We shouldn't have time for endless hours sat around fulfilling our own needs and our own desires. He's given us a job to do, and we need to set about doing it. So I guess my obvious question as I finish to ask you is really this. What has the Lord entrusted you with? Do you keep it in your own pocket and do you keep it for your own pleasure? Will he commend us for our love or condemn us for our laziness? I know which side of the fence I'd rather fall and the thing that I'd rather cultivate, but what does that look like? Where do you start? Will you start with the small things because when we're faithful with the little that he's entrusted us with, Luke 16, verse 9, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large ones. But if you're dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? It's part of the principle of investment that's the yield that comes with it are we investing our attitude in a positive and life-giving way or a negative and a draining way you could almost put anything through the filter how am i investing my time is it reluctantly and frustratedly or is it dynamically and purposefully how am i investing the thing that god has put on me how are you investing the thing that God has put on you, the hospitality, the generosity, the welcome, the kindness, the encouragement, the skill he's given you, a care for children, 
that allows and releases a young mum to give her time in other ways. Sometimes we release something in others to release something in them for others. A joy of spending time one-on-one -on -one that allows you to walk out and encourage and champion and dig for gold. A gifting in DIY that allows you to help those where that isn't the thing. A love for baking that allows you to deposit the fruits of that labor to anyone and everyone. What is it? Business, IT, project management teaching, accountancy, intercession. We could go on and on and on and on because the Lord has put an investment in your hand for you to now deposit and invest. I could go on forever. I think 42 is a huge investment springboard. It's literally endless. So's your small group, so's this church, so's the people in it, so's this city, so's the people on your street, so are your colleagues because your thing is actually his thing because he gave it to you to invest. It's not actually yours. It's his for him to see a return. And we're a body and this really is how a body works because everything we need to learn to love Jesus and serve the church and reach into the city is in the house. We've just got to uncover it, realize it and release it. And our investment is usually unlocked through the desire to invest it We've got to find the desire to invest it because then we find the right soil, we find the right area, we find the right relationships and the right people to help us become all that God is calling us to become. And to do that, some of us have to actively deal with our fear of heights so that the pain, the baggage and the character doesn't hold us back from all that God wants to do in us and through us. Why don't we stand together? If you're new in this room, you may wonder what we're about to do. Well, we're just going to spend a bit of time resting and waiting in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We believe that his presence changes us. And so we make significant time and space for him to move among us. So you don't need to feel uncomfortable in that or with that. It might help you. To, to, to close your eyes just allows the distractions of the room to be removed. But Lord, we welcome you. Thank you that you live among us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we just welcome you now. Meet with us, God. Why don't we just take this opportunity in our in our hearts, in our in our own minds, just to reflect on two two questions. Ask ourselves, do we have a vision to invest? And have we neglected the king in any way in our lives, in any area of our lives? God is so gracious with us, so kind, so merciful. Always with outstretched arms, waiting to receive us. 
and to just come back to him. I think it's so important that we, that we ask ourselves the important questions. Do we have a vision to invest? Are we investing what we've been given? Are we investing our lives, every area of it, in the things that matter? And have we neglected the king in some ways? Lord, I pray that you will just be with us now, moving among us, pouring out your, your love and your mercy and your grace over us as we just ask ourselves those questions. Thank you that all we have to do is just say yes again. Just turn and look to you. I pray that we won't linger too long in the what we maybe have not done or where we've, yeah, maybe missed the mark, but that we will dwell in the place of where we're going. What we could do. How we can dream again. And how we can live in the fullness of the kingdom, the reality of the kingdom of God here, now, in our lives. God. Thank you, Jesus. I think the, the Lord will have nudged and prompted you, a number of you, I, I feel just a, a number of specific things, just the, the word inadequacy. Some of you will just feel what you have to offer and bring is inadequate. And um, it's kind of like the, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 or the 4,000. Just you give what you have. It's him that grows it. It's not dependent on you. The other one was, um, I almost saw like a smoke rising this morning. And I, I just felt like um, for some of you, he just wants you to know that the offering you bring is pleasing to him. It's almost like an incense that rises. We sang it this morning through every loss and victory, glory to him. I feel like he almost just wants to bless some of you today whatever your circumstance, that you, you just long to be a pleasing offering to him. Um, just physically, I felt um, there was somebody where you, you get, it's like you have a spike almost running up through the soles of your feet. You're in incredible pain from the, from the heel up. Um, I felt there's somebody with a pain in the uh, top of the right knee. Some of these things is uh, not only do I think he wants to heal them, but he sometimes just wants to get our attention. The other one is if you just were to put your hand on your left shoulder and just over the top onto your back, that you had a significant um, pain there. And the other one was um, uh, kind of between the wrist and your, your arm, actually, just right at the top of your wrist on your left wrist, that you have a constant and ongoing um, pain. A number of those things, I think, sometimes the Lord just specifically wants to get our attention. But also, of course, we believe for that and many other things that we, we see him regularly bring healing power upon us. So we'd love to make some space to pray, 
to pray for each other, to come alongside each other. So if you'd like to respond, if any of those things resonate, or indeed you just know you need to be prayed for, then just come, come to the come to the front. And we'll make sure that uh, someone in the life of, in this in a small group in the life of the church will come and pray for you and won't leave you waiting long. But it's a good opportunity while people are standing just to kind of slip out of your rows and just just come forward. Just as, as people are doing that, I think um, particularly around the inadequacy thing, I think that's like a confession moment because I think the enemy tries to keep it dependent on us and the, through the process of confession is the realisation that it's not about us, it's him. It's him that does it, it's him that grows things, it's him that brings the increase. So a number of people will have responded. Let's not leave them long. If you're in a small group, we pray for them. But also you can just see the Lord moving and brooding all over this room. I often think if someone has their eyes closed in these moments, they're kind of, they're open, they're willing for you to join them, stand alongside them, minister to them. It's just a sensitivity to what the Lord's doing in the room. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.